Hey folks, it's us, podcasting wonderkins John Bishop and Lucas Southworth. Although this is a podcast about cars, it is not age-appropriate for the target demographic of these films, as we usually end up talking about the reproductive organs of Lightning McQueen. Alright, now let's take a look under the hood. Welcome to the Kachat, the only podcast brave enough to play children's games and then make fun of them. I'm John Bishop. Hey, what's up with cars? I'm Lucas Southworth. <laughs> but this week, it is, he is right. He is right. We are talking about the putt-putt games. It should be, hey, what's up with putt-putt? Because, uh, man, we played them. And, and hey, what's up with putt-putt? It, it, a lot. All right, all right. A lot. So as we discussed last week, we got a request from uh, our friend Izzy to dive into the putt-putt games, and we uh, couldn't decide quite what to do, whether we should do the first and last games or the most wild games, so we put it up to a poll on Twitter. I don't know what we were expecting. Of course, y'all chose the most wild games. John has come in having played Putt-Putt Travels Through Time, I think is the title. Mm-hmm. And he does. Man, I bet he does. And John, I will tell you, Putt-Putt also does Go to the Moon, which is the one I played. And also, before we get into it, a bit of a, a correction on how we described this coming to us last week. Izzy did send us this, but like two years ago, friend of the show and former co-host while John was on paternity leave, Emma also sent me this exact idea and I completely forgot about it. So credit to Emma. Uh, and to make it up to her, I did also play her favorite putt-putt game, Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. Okay. Okay. So you've played two of these games and you're um, still sane? Yeah, they're they're fine. <laughs> they're, I, I, right here at the top, we're going to do the thing where we say like, hey, we understand these are kids' games. They're not made for us, but we're still going to make fun of them. Yeah, we're all cool mm-hmm. with it. We're all yep, cool yep, with yep. it. It's kind, of, it's kind of our thing, our niche. If you will. Making fun of kids' properties. Because I will say right at the top, I think these are probably pretty good kids' games. And probably, uh, if you grew up with them, a really great source of nostalgia for you. Like, I grew up with Pajama Sam, as we discussed last week, another game by humongous entertainment the people who make these games uh and if i had been playing pajama sam i probably would have been all the way into it i i could feel that as i was playing putt putt instead Mm -hmm. and you get a tiny bit of nostalgia even if you haven't played the game which is weird because i played insert name of fish game that i can't remember freddy fish yep and uh it felt very similar, just the animation style, the weird uh, audio clipping, everything. <laughs> so, John, would you like to talk to me about your journeys through space and time, or would you like me to tell you about my lunar landing with Putt-Putt first? All right. 
the answer to this next question will tell me if I want to hear yours first or if I want to go first. Was your adventure due to just bad engineering and science? I would say so, yeah. All right, then go ahead and tell me. All right, our protagonist, Putt-Putt the car, was strolling down to... Uh, got invited, as a matter of fact, to the new fireworks factory by Mr. Firebird. Mm -hmm. I don't know why Mr. Firebird invited the car child Putt-Putt to the firework factory. Seems like a bad place to invite a child. And as we'll learn, it was. And you just let, for a while, you go to the the car town, which is Putt-Putt's town, is car town. Uh, you just go to the Cartown Fireworks Factory. Mr. Firebird makes you, lets you make a bunch of fireworks and test them. Uh, and there's a big lever that says, do not pull. And I thought, they're wanting me to click on that, but I'm not going to do it. There is a butterfly over here, and I do want to click on that. Something you got to know about putt-putt games, you can and should click on every single thing on screen. There is nary a thing you can't click on on every single screen that will do some silly animation when you do it. Now, I will say that for the most part, that seems to only be true about anything that's clearly outlined in a darker black than anything else. For sure. You can tell what you can click on, basically. Like, if there's a tree, click on the tree and like a face will pop out and it'll be a living tree for a second. And that's amusing to like children. And I get it. It's to encourage cre- uh, sort of curiosity, creativity, and it's fun. Some of them were genuinely funny. I will give it that. But anyway, I click the butterfly thinking it's going to be like I'm avoiding the game being so much smarter than it. But no, I click the butterfly and it flies on the do not touch lever uh, and weighs it down enough <laughs> to <laughs> launch a, a secret experimental firework that Mr. Firebird had been working on catch me up under it. For some reason, his firework does not explode at any point and carries me all the way to the moon. Mm. Important to know, Pep, Putt-Putt's dog, who's just with him at all times, needed a space helmet. Putt-Putt did not. But then once we landed on the moon, Pep did not have a space helmet for the rest of it. So don't know what's up with that. Uh, Uh... But basically, the game from there is like, all all of these are like, hey, go around, find items. You need to find specific items that we've given you a list of to finish the game. And this one was find uh, items to build a spaceship to go back home. On the moon, there are a whole bunch of aliens just everywhere. (laughs) There is a family of mice from Kansas who are visiting as tourists, who is one of my favorite parts of the game. There's the lunar rover who you become friends with, who I really want to spend some time on later, but Mm. I just want to get through the description first. Uh, But basically you just help some people out. The mayor of moon town. I don't know if that's what it was called. Gives me a key to the rocket because I helped someone who found fell in a moon river. There are a couple like little mini games, (laughs) like completing a maze uh and another one oh, did i write this down called bear Stormin. that's just a you just go into a moon bar and there's an arcade cabinet uh and you click on that and you get thrust into the mini game bear Stormin, in which a bear gets into a plane 
it's kind of like Flappy Bird, just in that like the background moves behind you and you only have to worry about moving up and down, but you just move it with your mouse, not by clicking. All right. And for 14 levels, it was the easiest game I ever played <laughs> because you get a you get a set amount of fuel at the beginning of each level and you fill it back up by hitting balloons and you don't want to hit anything else or either you'll die or lose some fuel. And at no point in those first 14 levels was it ever I was was I ever in any danger of running out of fuel because they start me with a full tank. Then on level 15, they start me with like an eighth of a tank and I can't miss a single balloon or the bear flying the plane will die. So there was just a wild difficulty spike in Bear Storming, which I looked up, goes on for 35 more levels after that. Oh, no. Uh, I spent a good 20 minutes of the about hour and 15 minutes I spent playing this game just trying to get as far as I could in Bear Storming. And I could never get past, like, level 17. Uh, but then I bit the bullet and just did the, found the rest of the stuff to make the rocket ship and escaped back to earth the whole time i could click the radio on putt putt's dashboard and the radio announcer was like hey there's a child who got sent to the moon that sucks uh it looks like he's trying to get back i don't know man that's basically putt putt goes to the moon we can get into more detail but i want to hear about putt putt travels through time or any questions you have just on your first listening to the description of putt putt goes to the moon uh, important question, not about the storyline at all. Uh, when you clicked on the radio, did another mouth appear? Oh, oh, like the radio itself was talking? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, that confirms that this boy has at least two mouths. One of them isn't controlled by him, maybe. Yep. All right, so Putt-Putt travels through time. You wrote a history report. Classic. You gotta go see... Uh, good old your good friend doc and your name is marty mcfly i mean no um you gotta go see professor firebird and you're gonna show him your history report for some reason but you gotta bring your lucky nickel for some reason so you click (laughs) on the nickel because you're like oh it's money i gotta have money and i guess you needed that so you go to the professor firebird and you're like oh i want to show you my history report before i go to school he's like oh cool um but give me all your money. So you give him your money, and then he starts a washing machine, which apparently controls chronological torque. Sure. And that starts a machine that is supposed to let you see time, like any time period you want. And instead, the screen bursts open, and a portal appears, and all of your things that weren't already stolen by the old man get sucked into the time stream and you have to go through and collect all the things because if you don't the portal will never close they never explain that that's a bad thing it just won't close so you of course a child are then sent on a mission to collect the items that were taken from you by this old man's invention that just was broken for some reason and then you go through time and there's a thing you could click on and it's like four different things somewhat related to time or math or science and i would advise not clicking on it because it's then like a weird music video Mm. uh but then you've got four options of time periods to go to there is of course dinosaur time then there is art arthurian castle village then there is 
uh, Wild West, and then there's Future. Great. The four times. So that's, yeah, the four times. <laughs> and uh, a weird thing is that if you're in the dinosaur times, everything is referred to as primordial, which is not what that means. No, it certainly isn't. Uh, one of the first people you meet is, uh, well, if you choose to start going like left to right, you meet Ms. Brachiosaurus, who introduces herself because you walk up to her and you're like, oh, I got to wake this thing up so the tail will move. And you're like, hey, it's a Brachiosaurus. And she opens up her eyes a little bit. It's like, that's Ms. Brachiosaurus to you. And oh, who she's or single. what in the primordial ooze are you? And that's how you're introduced to dinosaurs talking to you. So that's weird. And then there's primordial soup. But then you just go through all the time streams collecting items. And then you got to... Your goal is to collect the right items, which are your items, and then go back to the normal time. And then you deliver your history report to school. Bada bing. Mm -hmm. You want me to go through Saves the Zoo right quick, and then we can dive into some nitty gritty here? Absolutely. Okay, so right off the bat, Emma, you were straight up correct. This was a superior game to uh, Putt Putt Goes to the Moon. Uh, That is what she texted me. Let's see. She said uh, Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo is superior in every way. And again, quite honestly, yeah, it kind of was. Not to get too much into like game design-y talk for these games meant for, you know, small children, but Putt-Putt Goes to the Moon is like very almost linear in that like you do one thing and then it's very clear like oh go do this thing now now you have what you need to go do this thing over here whereas at least putt putt saves the zoo was like it's not open world open world is certainly not the right word uh but you could do it in whatever order you wanted like you could would go to the the grassland and you found uh a log that you needed in the jungle area and like you had to get stuff from each area to affect each other area. Uh, so it was more open-ended. Uh, I think force probably forces kids to think a little bit more than the other one. So yeah, straight up. You're right, Emma. And also the song in it does slap. You're right. Uh, <laughs> but basically, Hey, the car town zoo is opening. And once again, the guest of honor putt putt has been invited well, as a matter of fact, no. Mr. Baldini from the Italian market, who has a giant bushy mustache and is a car, uh, sends you with some zoo chow to take to Outback Al, uh, the zookeeper, I guess. Is it so, an Australian zoo? It's an Australian man. <laughs> or car. Man car. Man car. Thank you. Uh, also, you so you get to the zoo, you take the zoo chow to Outback Al, who has... Uh, just a giant chin and stubble on it, which I didn't love. Uh, <laughs> but you take it to him and he's like, putt, putt, it's awful. The zoo opens today and all of this stuff is not ready. There are bridges that don't exist and I got to fix everything. And what's worse, there are six baby animals who are missing. Oh, who's stealing the babies? No, they just all got out and are... <laughs> Stuck somewhere is what happens. Oh, so it's just a bad zoo. 
let me tell you, the main takeaway I got from Putt Putt Saves the Zoo is that the Cartown Zoo is a horrible zoo that deserves to be closed down immediately. Uh, but so you think maybe, oh, I'm a child shouldn't be sent to like get a baby lion or a baby hippo. It's dangerous for me and the animals. He'll have me like repair the bridges and whatnot. But no, Outback Al, the trained zookeeper says, listen, I'll fix everything. You go find the baby animals, putt putt. And you're like, okay. So <laughs> you basically just go through the, I think I mentioned them already. There are three areas and like the, the grassland, the jungle, and like the Arctic icy area mm-hmm. uh, and get different stuff and save like a tiger or a lion, a giraffe, a hippo, a seal, a snake, and one, that uh, an elephant. Okay. And it was fun. I liked that one more than uh, Ghost to the Zoo. Again, though, like there's a part where just to get to a large section of the zoo, you have to swing on a vine over a river with a crocodile in it and i was thinking that's not great but i guess this is maybe what outback al was talking about when he was like stuff isn't working it's broken uh and this will be fixed before people come in but no in the final like cutscene, you do see people doing that just going around the zoo there's an avalanche in the arctic area that almost kills putt putt <laughs> uh you can actively go on a raft and go through some rapids which There are rapids in the zoo? Yeah, you maybe aren't supposed to get on them, but there is a raft right at the front of them, so anyone could. And I went through those rapids maybe six times, and because there are like branching paths you can go down, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out, okay, it wouldn't have this rapids area without like something to collect or one of the animals in there. Oh, believe you me, I've learned that that is not the case. No, yeah, it was just a rapids area for fun. <laughs> just for fun. I Again, I searched every nook and cranny. But whatever. In the end, I saved all the animals. Oh, super importantly, all the zoo animals can talk. All Pep, right. Pep the dog cannot talk. Yeah, yeah. And this is something that was pointed out to us by Izzy when uh, Izzy sent it our way. Uh, but can confirm uh, when I came across the monkeys, the first animals in the zoo I came across, uh, they were all wearing berets and they did beat like a beat poetry jam at me. Mm. Uh, so, you know, like monkeys, like monkeys do. John. Yeah. You know how monkeys do. <laughs> so that's the basics of pup, but we should maybe describe how the car looks. Well, that depends, Lucas, because you said that you had a better game than the other game that you had played. But did your games have character customization? They both did, yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Mine had character customization, and I was weirdly impressed by it. Well, when you say character customization, do you mean you, you could, could paint change? The car. Yeah, you could change Pup Butt's color. Mm hmm. Yeah, you could do that in Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo uh, and it would stay the whole game. But in Goes to the Moon, uh, you would basically order a soda from the moon bar and you would drink it and Putt-Putt would very quickly turn yellow or purple. Oh, he's already purple or red or something, but then he would change back. So Mm. more in Saves the Zoo than Goes to the Moon. All right. Now, 
there were two options for character customization in my game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was very strange. It was, you can change the color of your tongue for a brief period of time. Sick. You could eat a piece of candy that you had to do a part of the game for so that you could get a nickel and then give that nickel to someone else immediately so you could buy candy and change the color of your tongue. And in the future part of the game, you could just go to a place and then be picked up by a scary large machine and it would uh, spew paint all over you and spin you around violently. Great. We love that. Yeah. I don't... The one at the zoo wasn't really explained. I think they just did it in previous games and were like, ah, people expect you to be able to turn putt-putt green. Uh, so they just there was just a paint station set up in the grassland. Uh, well, in in the future, you can just get a paint job and that was it. Like, there was nothing other than you go to a place and you're able to do a thing. So that's something. That's something. <laughs> but what I was getting at is that... Uh, Putt-Putt very much follows the Celine DeFerre model of where eyes are. Mm-hmm. His eyes are his headlights, uh, much like the headlight saleswoman in Cars 2 in France, who always freaks us out. On account uh, of so many things, Of she's got a different design than all the other cars. Her eyes are where her reproductive organs should be. And uh, she also sells the thing that's different about her. She sells eyeballs. I think the biggest thing for me, I know we talk so much about Celine and we've mentioned this exact point before, but the biggest thing that freaks me out about Celine is that when Mater sees her, Mater doesn't go, oh, hello, ma'am. And like, not bad an eye. Mater sees her and freaks out. Mater's afraid of this woman. Mm-hmm. Mater doesn't know what's going on. Which uh, is just them <laughs> confirming, yes, this character is terrifying. Yeah, they could have just included her and been like, yeah, some cars are different. Who cares? But no, they they made it very clear. This is different. This is wrong. And you should be afraid of her. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is basically explicit. He is also uh, a convertible, which is important because he uses his antenna hand to put a lot of stuff in his body. And that makes it a lot easier to do. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he just is missing his top. Could be. Could be that. Yeah. Uh, also, imp- not importantly, but I noticed uh, he has white walled tires, which, you know, that's a connection to cars, kind of. Now, for me, I don't think he has white walled tires. I think he has completely white tires. That's true. It's uh, They're not just walled. They're, the full tire is white, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Don't see that very much. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> as far as game design goes, one thing that is really neat to me is that this game seems to have a bit of procedural generation because I was confused as to where where to find a certain thing and uh, I looked up okay how do I find this because I was playing well into hour one and I was like I don't want to be playing this forever sure (laughs) so I look up where to find the item and then it says oh it could be here or here or here, or here. So I think every time you play it, it could be, by every time, I mean, there are four different locations that you can go in time, Uh and uh, each 
item, there are four items you need to find, could be in each of those locations. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. Neither of mine had anything like that. I, To my knowledge, they, all of the things are always in the same place for Moon and Zoo. Hmm. I feel like my game may have been a later one. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, which, that's all neat. But then also, I've noticed there's some things that are similar with the other games that were complaints of mine, and that's there are areas where it seems to have just placed something that's just there, and that's it. It's It could be that it's a procedural generation, like, oh... Sometimes this item is in this location and that's why there's nothing there right now. But then there are things like, oh, it's just a, it's just a mini game. That's oh, it. Oh yeah, for sure. Like uh when I did the maze to find Pep the dog who ran off into a moon cave. Mm-hmm. That was just that was just a fun little maze. Uh and when yeah. I played Animal Tag at the zoo or when I played hockey against a polar bear, those were just for fun too, which Again, for this kind of game where like half of the fun for the kid is just clicking on stuff and seeing what happens, totally fine. For us as two in their late 20s men playing it was a little less what we wanted from it. But then you get to a point where you're like, oh, there's just 3D Pong in this for no reason. Ooh, really? Yep. That was the arcade game for me. It was just 3D Pong. Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> uh, yeah. So there was 3D Pong. There was also another thing, I guess, similar to the Rapids, where you could just go down an endless trail. If you go into the desert, this is something that tripped me up. Uh, you have to do a mini game, and then you have to do a different mini game, and then a, I think a third mini game. In order to, well, not minigame, like there's three different tasks you have to perform before you open up the major portion of the map. And I didn't know that. And I was like, this is super weird that there's one of these four times where the entire map is just insanely simple. It's not. You just have to uh, talk to the train station. Sure. And then talk to the train station. And then talk to the train station. <laughs> Great. And, uh, Lucas, I have a, a very important question. Sure. I'm going on tangents. I can't like keep a, a straight thought right now. That's fine. But it's very upsetting to me. How many times did you have to interact with an adult in this game? And it just was uncomfortably like this might be sexual. I don't know that I got that vibe. I very much got the vibe that like, like several, several times, like these adults should be helping me more. Mm hmm. Like there were several times where I was, you know, stuck on the moon uh, and I found the rocket ship and there was an alien who was like, yeah, we don't really want it anymore, but you're going to have to buy it from us, child who's trying to get back home. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also was like, there were several zoo employees who did not help me find, you know, the baby animals. But no, I didn't get any weird sexual vibes, John. Okay, so nothing like, I don't know. Uh, two different adults that you had to make moan for various reasons. Hmm. Don't care for that. No, I don't think that happened. All right. So you go to uh, past times. You go to the dinosaurs uh, and you had to scratch his back for him. 
And you do this by driving on him. And I don't know what's going on here, but he's like, oh, I've I've got rough skin. I got this itchy spot on my back. Can you scratch it for me? And then he would drive on him. And then he's like pointing his tail at various areas. And you have to go there. And every time you move, he's like, oh, uh, that's the spot. And it's that for that entire part of the game. So that's yeah. upsetting. Yeah. But then there's every time you have to lube something or oil something, mm. uh, there are various things within the game that are rusty that you uh, squirt with your oil can. And then all of the uh, rust just disintegrates and turns to dust in front of you. So that's something. Uh, and one of the things you have to lube is the train. Mm. He's like, I, hey, can you be my uh, junior conductor? Could you be real helpful and be my junior conductor? And could you just do me a huge favor and and uh, just oil me up real quick? And then you do that, and he's like, oh. And then all of it disintegrates, and he's better. And then you have to water him. And it, why are there more than one? Why is there any amount above zero of adults that you have to make moan in this game. Yeah, I don't care for that. That's for sure. It's very upsetting. Yeah, like, obviously, I guess not obviously, but I almost certainly think that that wasn't their intention, but like, have a person look at it. Mm hmm. Like, that, think about it. Yeah. Just for a second would yeah. be good. Uh, There's that. There's, it's just various things throughout this game. It's like, oh, this is not appropriate for you being a child and these being adults. <laughs> like the two adults who take your money without even considering maybe this is a child who has their own money that we shouldn't be taking. Maybe we should consult their parent or something. Was there a parent in your entire playthrough? Oh, no, neither of them. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Putt-Putt's home situation, but, like... It's probably not great. Yeah, like, he gets trapped on the moon. Uh, mm -hmm. And you come back in Putt-Putt Goes to the Moon, and, like, there are a bunch of cars gathered around who are like, oh, Putt-Putt, we were so worried. But, like, there aren't any that, like, come up to Putt-Putt and, like, em car embrace him or anything, like... I don't know, man. It made me a little sad, <laughs> being honest. Yeah, it's a, a Doc Marty relationship where you've got Mr. Firebird, and he seems to be the adult in your life, and he's irresponsible, to say the least. Oh, was Mr. Firebird also in yours? Was he the time traveler? He was the, the Doc inventor? Professor Brown. Uh, yeah, he's the, he's the guy. And he is, seriously, your Doc for your Marty. Huh. And it's just a, a situation where like, okay, I made a time machine. You can't go through time. You can just see it. And then it immediately breaks. And then all your stuff is stolen. And then that's because he already demanded of you your money. Yeah. And it must be said, I'm exaggerating like everything I'm saying. For sure. Uh, he's like, oh, no, I can't start the machine because it's a washing machine and it needs a nickel. And you just happen to have a nickel. So you're like. 
hey, Professor Firebird, I have a nickel. And that's it. That's that on that, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's not great that there are two separate incidents where Firebird invites you putt-putt into a situation he shouldn't have invited him to in the first place and then something goes horribly wrong that could have killed putt-putt yeah it's it's not great that the adult in his life is this strange uh, mad scientist man okay you remember when I said I wanted to dive into the lunar rover uh, Mm -hmm. during my thing because that was the most interesting part of either game to me like lore wise i guess okay uh because you land on the moon and you explore just a little bit and there's a bridge uh and there was a sign that said caution and i clicked the sign because it made me laugh that anytime there was a word putt putt would if you clicked it putt putt would say that says fireworks factory or that says caution uh which Again, a good thing to include in a game for children who are probably learning to read. Mm -hmm. But I clicked the sign. He said, that says caution. And then without me doing anything else, he drove up onto the rickety bridge above the moon river and immediately falls in, which annoyed me. (laughs) Now, I gotta say, the vibe I got from my playthrough was that he's the type of character that if you see that sign that says, do not touch... If you click the thing that says do not touch, he would have been like, huh, that says do not touch. I shouldn't touch it. And then the butterfly thing would happen. But in your playthrough, it seems that he's the type who sees caution and says, huh, that's for suckers. Yeah, seems that way. The bridge just fully collapses out from under him. He falls into the moon river and gets stuck. Uh, And then you have to honk your horn. Uh, which I did think that was nice. He said, I need to call for help somehow. Uh, and I had been honking the horn quite a bit just because it was funny to me also that you could do that at any point. And honking the horn makes the lunar rover come over and save you and fix the bridge. But the lunar rover had the saddest backstory. <laughs> they, they had a flashback for this guy. He was also sentient because he's a car. Mm-hmm. But he said, he said, like, I've been stuck on the moon for like a long time. I came with the astronauts and they left me here. <laughs> oh, no. And like you see like human astronauts, like you don't see their faces, at least humanoid astronauts in a little flashback coming to the moon and driving him around and then leaving and him looking sad. And like, yeah, we did that with the real lunar rover. But ours wasn't sentient. Ours wasn't a person. Ours wasn't an equal crewmate. Ah, uh, that is very sad. Yeah, so you do get to... Uh, that one That one had the stronger story for me, uh, because not only were you saving yourself, you were saving uh, the Lunar Rover, which uh, I was very motivated to do after that. I got genuinely sad about it. All right. Uh, good, good. That is sad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Another character in mine uh, was the man in the moon. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the phrase, like but the is phrase, a character. But is a character. Okay. Uh, when the rover saved me, he gave me a picture of the moon. I don't know why. 
he did something for me and then gave me a present. He's just a good guy, I guess. Yeah, sounds uh, like. So I went, and that that was an unavoidable like story moment. Like I don't think I could have not gotten the picture. But then I just went to some rando's house, played Simon Says to get in, went in, and there was just a large being with a crescent moon for a head. And he said, I'm the man in the moon. And all I've wanted for 10,000 years is a picture of myself. Oh. Which was weird. Because, like, what what the rover gave me was a picture of the crescent moon. But, like, the moon itself, not this guy who mm-hmm. lives on the moon. So I think you mean in the moon. In the moon, I guess. Uh, he's not underground, so I would argue that. But that's neither here nor there. But I just got very confused on the lore of that, I guess, and that he was both the was he also the moon and of this course. guy? Yes. He just lived on or in himself? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't see how that's confusing. It makes perfect sense. Okay, whatever. <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah. How long did it take you to beat yours? Probably two hours. About two hours? Okay. So one thing I did, I like tangentially watch and pay attention to the speedrunning community. Like, I don't watch anyone on Twitch. Is there, yeah, there's a putt-putt speedrunning community? Oh, John. Uh, Yes, there is. I did go on to speedrun.com and check out the world records for all, all of the games. Uh, you said it took you about two hours-ish. How long do you think the world record speed w- run for Putt-Putt Travels Through Time is? If we're talking all things allowed, and there's like the ability to uh, insert a certain like up, down, down, right, left, left, like click thing, I'm sure it's like two minutes. Well, John, try four times less than that. Uh, the speed run for Putt Putt Travels Through Time is uh, 33.8 seconds. Uh, and it seems the big thing is uh, there's a way to just skip dialogue, <laughs> which just seems to take care of all of it, especially if you just know where everything is. You just have to get your route settled. Okay. Uh Putt Putt Goes to the Moon is the world record is five and a half minutes uh, because I think there was there's like an unskippable like song cut scene or something. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be, you know, about as long as yours. And then Putt Putt Saves the Zoo was thirty one point three seconds. All right. All right. That's uh, nuts. And as I looked more into this, I noticed that each of the three I had checked were done by the same guy (laughs) named Plank. And right off the bat, I didn't look into Plank at all, so if he, as many gamers are, is a bad person, I'm not endorsing him, just talking about his skills at humongous entertainment games, because I did look at all of the rest of the Putt-Putt games, and wouldn't you know it, right there at the top was Plank. And then I thought, I mean, there's just no way, right? So I went over to Freddy Fitch. And all of the Freddy Fish games. Of World course. record were Plank, Pajama Sam, Plank, Spy Fox, which I had never heard of. Uh, they're all Plank. <laughs> he has the world record speed run 
of every single humongous entertainment like story game. Like they're like the sort of activity pack games that we mentioned we weren't interested in. He doesn't have those, which they do have world records, but all of the all of the ones he he has done. And I did add up all of his times to see how long it would take him to play the 19 uh, different humongous entertainment games. And if you add them all up, it is 29 minutes and 51 seconds. And it only took him three years of his life to be able to do that. I mean, almost certainly. Uh, just a couple more stats. His longest one is Putt-Putt Goes to the Moon, it would seem. Just, I think, again, because that unskippable cutscene or whatever it is. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it was. And his shortest one was Freddy Fish 2 clocking in at 14.8 seconds. Mm. I watched a video of some of these. They are, I mean, they're what you expect. It's a, it's a guy clicking a bunch and the screen changing very rapidly. Uh, but they're still very impressive. If you want to go to speedrun.com and uh, check them out for yourself. I, I always recommend that speedrunning is so so interesting. It's very bizarre. Uh hard to hard to understand how this is a thing that people just happen upon. Like, oh, yeah, you just click 5 times in this direction and then you're going to be through this wall for some reason. And that's all you need to know because after that, you can uh walk five more paces and then you're in the second to last level and then you do a Kamehameha wave and yes this is Spongebob and Patrick go fishing sure uh, but you know you can do that because it's a an easter egg that they didn't tell anyone about just a little bit more about how wild speedrunning is one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time is a person in depth explaining how they do a uh least a presses possible tool assisted speed run for a specific level of super mario 64 and it is some of the most like insane stuff i've ever heard of them saying so uh you understand tool assisted speed run like they do it with a computer basically for like Mm -hmm. the the theoretical perfect speed run yeah uh, that a human couldn't execute but -hmm. basically there's a point where they're like So then I set Mario up against this wall, walking backwards, and leave him to build speed for seven hours. (laughs) How is Uh, that that a speed run? I mean, he's trying not to press the A button. He can't (laughs) jump, so he has to do some weird stuff. And, like, that shoots him, like, so far off the map that he's technically on a different invisible map that they call a parallel universe. (laughs) And it's... Uh, it's called Watch for Rolling Rocks. If you just type that in uh, and like uh, no A presses or something, you'll find it. It's like half an hour to an hour long. Of st- It made me feel like I was an insane person, but it is incredible to watch. But go ahead with what you were saying. So I was going to return to uh, the idea of characters who uh, say a lot about lore. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is... In fact, a wheel. Who yes. is a, who is a character? Yes, he is of course in the dinosaur times for sure, and he is wheel. And uh, then you go to Merlin times. Yes, Merlin is in this game. Great. Uh, 
And one of the things that he does is in one of the generations that you can play, he uses your calculator as a power source <laughs> for a nonsense machine. Sure. And, uh, well, in that universe, there is, of course, a bunch of carts and buggies that are alive. The buggies, of course, are the royalty. And the cart is a guy who collects uh, firewood for the blacksmith. Sure. Who why not? ended up in my playthrough not being anything. Like, you can have anything you need. And you don't need anything from him. <laughs> That's sad. Uh, you do, of course, go to the Wild West and then it's like, oh, if you want some of this hay, you can have it. So you take the hay and then you come back at a different point in time and you're like, oh, look, a rope. And you just take it without asking. So this game's not all that consistent about uh, getting permission for things. But uh, it basically confirms that, yes, vehicles are sentient. That's it. Uh, because you got the vehicle. It's a, a wheel. So he's alive. There's also dinosaurs that are alive. There are sentient animals throughout all the time because you talk to a horse, you talk to dinosaurs, yada, yada. And in the future, it's just a flying car. So sure. that's something. But then you think about it. Okay, so you start off evolution-wise as a wheel. Then you become a cart, which has two wheels. Then you become a car, which has four wheels. Mm -hmm. And then you become something that has no wheels. My God. <laughs> you have completely become something that is antithetical to what you started out as. And that's bizarre to me. Huh, yeah, just thinking about that evolutionary line of, like, the consciousness moves away from the wheel, but the wheels are still important until you don't need them anymore, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wild. It's like, I don't even know how to say that what this would be like, because, like, for me, I'm thinking, okay, so we came from monkeys, right? What if we lost the monkey part of ourselves? Like, all right, so the uh, two arms, two legs, the torso, the, the butt, the head, neck. I mean, we lost, I don't even think we lost tails. I don't even know if the evolutionary branch we were off of had tails. Uh, Izzy, let me know. But like, I'd have to go back so much further to like, oh, well, we were this ooze that came from the ocean, I guess. We were some sort of bacteria or lizard thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I Like, even still, there's arms and legs, and then you go back further, and then, okay, we're single-celled organisms, I guess. We didn't lose cells. But yeah. this branch of evolution is, you're a tire, you're a wheel, and then you're something that has wheels, and then you're something that doesn't have wheels. I guess it'd be like, if instead of monkeys evolving into humans... They evolved into two monkeys holding a box. Uh, Which, of course, evolves into a box. Yes, with no monkeys. So maybe what this is saying is that evolution is computer, and someday computer will be itself, and we won't carry them around anymore. I mean, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's wildly poignant, John. Did you consider mm -hmm. that? Uh... I want to say yes, but no. No, no, they didn't either. Uh, 
because it wasn't supposed to be. Oh, for sure. This game, I got to complain about this section. All right, so you had the rapids section. In my game, you get to that map where it's the Wild West, and there's a section where you're following footprints in the desert, and you follow the trails, and there are either three or four trails because there are three different types of animals you can encounter and you're just like following their footprints in the direction to figure out where they are. Then you find them and you like click on them and make observations about them. Like, Oh, you can learn that a roadrunner's tail is as long as the entirety of its body. Uh, fun things like that. Like you learn the colors that a uh, certain type of, I think mountain lion can be. Mm-hmm. And then there's one trail it's tire tracks. Oh, okay. And I don't know if that's supposed to be like a meta, oh, you've already been here, even if you haven't been here kind of thing. Or if you're supposed to find the car, and I never found the car. Huh. And I spent a lot of time for me, which was like five minutes. <laughs> sure, but like clicking the same thing over and over again, that is a long time. Yeah, it was real frustrating and i never found the other car (laughs) and what frustrates me is because like you can find trails where it's just like one set of footprints and it's they go into the center and then they go out in a different direction Mm. and that's it which means that you can find the car trail that did that if you don't find the car that means the joke is that you were already there but you hadn't been at first (laughs) which maybe it's a time travel joke Probably not. Probably not. But maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, of course, if it were another vehicle, it would probably have been a wagon, because I believe they were wagons at that point in time. Sure. But I don't know, man. Maybe there's just someone who was out in the desert and died, and then <laughs> they got buried in sand. Maybe it was Minnie and Van, you know? You could have saved <laughs> them. And gave you all the clues, Mr. Policeman. <laughs> I reference that movie, I want to say The Snowman or something, a lot for someone who has never seen it, has heard it's horrible, and never plans on seeing it. See, uh, I saw some trailers for it, and then I think I looked up a synopsis of it, and I was like, that is not what the trailer said this movie would be. I watched uh, a YouTube video about how it's one of the worst, like I think specifically edited movies this person had ever seen. Uh, as well as just one of the worst movies they'd ever seen. So, But I don't know. The marketing stuck with me, so good for you. <laughs> yeah, like I wanted to watch the movie. I just <laughs> didn't. I think one thing, and we, we've avoided this on purpose, because I think neither of us are sure if we should consider these canon or not, all of the different things you click on that are like absurd. An absurd thing happens, like you click a tree and it gets a mouth and eyes and it winks at you. And then it goes back to being a tree. Like we could talk about the lore implications of living sentient trees or the fact that like when I clicked on the earth, when I was on the moon, it turned around uh, and blew a bubble and then turned back around. (laughs) Well, that was uh, clearly about global warming. Sure. Sure. But what I'm getting at is should, should we count the little absurdist just animations that they put in there to put in there to like entertain kids 
and give them a reason, a reward for being curious, should we count those as canonical and important in the putt-putt verse? I will say I didn't write many of them down, so we can't talk about them a ton. But Well, Lucas, when you're dealing with absurdism in video <clears throat> games and any sort of thing that has an established storyline, uh, you you got to establish a very Sith mindset. You have to deal in absolutes. And that means that either nothing is important or everything is important. Sure, yeah. So when I have to go back in time after going back to the future, but not my future, and you collect some hay and then you bring it to some uh, creature that you feed... When I click and drop the hay and lure him away so he's not stomping on my uh, history report, sure, that is just as important as when I click on three different rocks and three different kinds of worms uh, lift said rock with their heads and only one of them struggles. Or when I clicked some flowers and they sang a little song to me. Uh, or when the monkeys, again... The monkeys who did some beat poetry really left a, a mark on me. Like, I, I was thinking about that for a while. Hard to imagine if that hadn't. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. So are we going to connect this to cars or what? Well, uh, when I was talking about the characters that had extreme lore implications... Yeah. Uh, this is, in some ways, already establishing itself in my mind as definitive this is just either the same universe or a parallel universe because in both universes we have uh, living car characters who go on misadventures who when you go back in time you discover there are in fact sentient wheels and you discover that uh, being a vehicle of some sort makes you sentient throughout history yeah yeah it's not hard to establish this one as a prequel to Cars. Again, what's getting me is the absolute absurdism of parts of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and let me be clear. I really enjoyed the absurdism of it. That's what kept me kind of interested in it is I'll, I clicked every single thing on every single screen. Yeah, if it uh, weren't goofy, it would just be a, a very unentertaining, I guess, educational for kids experience. <laughs> edutainment john that's well it wouldn't be entertaining that's if sure, it weren't sure. goofy that's that's very much true i just wanted to say edutainment because we hadn't yet and i like that term a lot it uh, it's a good term it is a good term i'm when i was playing these games i just kept going back to the idea of why aren't there good educational video games right now like yeah, that... there's math blaster in the past. There's these games. There's all that sort of stuff. Why isn't there just like more stuff like Nintendo's somewhat recent release of, Oh, learn about how to code a video game, except it's video game builder, the game. Why aren't there more things like that where it's like, Oh, you want to learn magic spells? Well, magic spells are just algebra. Yeah. The edutainment boom like really died out because there were there was a golden age with like these like lovely little point and click adventures and where in the world is carmen san diego oregon trail uh amazon river uh like i was super into all of those as a kid uh and it and maybe you know it's because i'm not a child but it seems like that boom has mostly gone away 
And I wonder if it's just like the idea is more like a kid. uh, This is a bad example because I'm going to talk about Assassin's Creed and a child playing it. But like a kid can play Assassin's Creed and like wander around Renaissance Paris. And like, unlike kids of the past, they can Google about it if they're interested in it. They can see, they can meet. uh, I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game, so I'm just lumping them all together. They can meet uh, Da Vinci in one of them and be like, ooh, who's this guy? Let's learn about him. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if it's more about like just introducing the topics and letting kids do their own research these days, or if it just, these stopped being profitable at a certain point, you know? Well, I will say... There are a few games that I'm just going to give a a shout out. There is, of course, Minecraft Educational. uh, There's Big Brain Academy. For sure. And there's one that I cannot remember. All I remember is that the kids, when I was a substitute, loved playing it. And it seemed pretty much like Ragnarok Online, except uh, less like Final Fantasy more like uh, flash animation, but with like a Neopets vibe and you did mini games and leveled up your character. And it was just, you had to do educational, like, oh, what's 12 plus 17? Mm. Yeah. And I wish there were that, but better. Yeah. And like, it does make me question, like I loved playing Oregon Trail as a kid and Like, it did give me a good idea of the vibe of the Oregon Trail, like the difficulty of moving as settlers. But like, if you uh, if you tried to do it in the past, my understanding is that you would get dysentery and then drowned. For sure. But like past that, I certainly didn't like when I got to, uh, I don't know, one of the forts didn't click all the information and read it. I just went and played the hunting mini game where I missed a game in which you, a child who is learning at school, uh, kill animals with your gun. So I, I don't know. I don't know how educational these are. Like, I think just the general idea of like letting a kid in to play like one of these, like Putt Putt. I, I genuinely think the rewarding curiosity, the like problem solving it gives, that I think works well. But like the actual parts where it's trying to be very educational, where it's like where I would go to an animal's exhibit and I could click a speaker and it would say, the boa constrictor is found in this area and can get this long. Like I clicked one of those once and then I realized, oh, this is where it's going to try to get me to learn. And I never clicked one of those again. And I got to imagine Kid Me would have done the exact same thing. And like, yeah, like, oh, here are the three colors that this animal can be. Here's the Roadrunner. I'm not going to figure out the third animal's thing. Yeah, like and the like problem solving exploration creativity, those exist in most games and there still are games being made for kids you know so like i'm not saying edutainment games are useless i'm just questioning how much of a loss they are you know yeah i really hope that one day there's a really good edutainment like game that basically has a magic system it's a vr game for 
whatnot. And it's just like, oh, school for the day is you play a video game because that would be awesome. For sure. Oh, you like, oh, if you want to be a wizard, you have to learn this uh, school subject. If you want to be a fighter, you have to learn this. And it's just like, oh, you have to be well balanced or you can't progress very easily and just make it a weird like making kids enjoy learning by tricking them. I want that. Yeah. And again, I think when you make it experiential, like again, I will say I do believe the Oregon Trail taught me again, just how difficult the journey was, how like how long it was, how long it took, like the feeling of moving to Oregon, like even from that, you know, low poly, like 16 bit game, like I got that from it. But when they try to put like a book report in the middle of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Resource management. Another good one. Book reports. That's you have to have a kid who wants to read to begin with for for that to work in a game. And I'm sure there are some people who did that and got, got a lot from it, but I imagine most did not. Yeah. Be a little strange if that was like the intention and the result. And that was just how it worked out. Yeah. But anyway, I think, uh, back to cars, I guess for our cars podcast, uh, I may have said this. I don't remember. I think our biggest issue is the absurdism itself. It in linking this to cars, it's mm-hmm. like trees don't talk in the cars verse. And the best. That's I've... why they make giant holes through them to kill them. That's true. They do do that in place. And the animals also talk. So that's why they killed most of them. That's why they know about bears, but you don't see any. I do like that. I think mine is. Okay. And this is going to get a little, little esoteric and weird for a second, but follow me here. It's going to start getting that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now is when it gets weird. <laughs> for sure, but <laughs> but I think Putt Putt is a middle linking piece from humans to cars in that like it's not an evolutionary thing, it's a something happened thing. Like uh something magic a magic spell was cast or like uh some like absurdism scientist blew up uh and like putt putt is the is like the volcanic things are still real weird phase like it just happened uh and things are settling in while like this massive shift to reality just happened uh, and then cars has it more like settled in like the lava has hardened into what it is what mm. reality is Okay, so it's just a transitional period. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what I get from it. Uh, because if we're really trying to make it work with, again, the singing flowers and man, men in the moon and whatnot, I think we've done it. All right. Last thing is the wiki quote that has a name. It's, it's the humongous, <laughs> the humongous wiki quote of the day. Give me that humongous of the day. 
for sure. This time we're going over to humongous.fandom.com slash wiki slash putt putt. And we are scrolling all the way down to driver's license. The song? No, putt putt just has a driver's license. Which... You mean a license to Move? walk, I guess? I guess. I don't quite get how to like access this. Uh, it says in Putt Putt Saves the Zoo, uh, you can add to like some of the code. I can drive equals seven one five nine five to show Putt Putt's driver's license. Uh, uh, the license reveals his birthday, height, weight, card's expiration date, etc. And I just want to read some facts about Putt Putt. <laughs> I didn't notice that one. His birthday is September 9th, 1992. Uh, so he is 30. almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> it says make and says con, which I got to imagine is convertible. He is two foot, three inches tall, weighs, that can't be right, 123 pounds. Uh, his license expires. Uh, in December of 1999. And let's see, which one of these is my favorite? Okay, it says eyes, two, <laughs> which one, just a good joke. Uh, two implies some cyclopses and triclopses, etc. Could be Roman about. Excuse me, it's a trica, please. You're absolutely right, and I apologize. <laughs> but then my favorite part, it does reveal that Putt-Putt is a registered engine donor. Which could mean... Could mean... Organ donor. Good. Could mean heart donor. Yeah. Or for all we know, it could mean that this uh, at-the-time child was uh, potentially a father. I guess, yeah. (laughs) I guess. You don't really put that on your driver's license, though. Like, we have a one-to-one. I mean, you don't. World. Okay, you're absolutely right. I uh, I mark it in myself. Yeah, the, the people at the DMV always forget, but you you, <laughs> you make sure that, the, that that gets fixed. You need a donation of any sort, and I might be able to help you out. Mm. All right, that's the end of the episode, yeah? You have anything yep. else? Okay. Uh, I do, but it's its own thing, and it's a lot. Okay. Do you want it, to? No, d- do it's that? too much. Uh, it is uh, the entire concept of if this is a transitional period, we have an answer to the question of what of their hands. Uh, yeah, because they have those antenna things, and they are used for everything. For everything. Mm. Where'd those go? Oops. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Tune in next time, I guess. <laughs> because that is the end of the episode. Uh, I did want to point out that uh, this probably went about an hour long and Plank could have in that time played every single humongous entertainment game twice. So that's just something I wanted to say. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening. And of course, a very special thank you to both Izzy, who uh, sent this to us a few weeks ago. Um, we finally got around to it. And even more so, Emma, who sent this to me, I think literally two years ago, uh, and I forgot about it immediately. So thank you both for being patient, one of you more than the other. 
<laughs> and thank you for sending it to us in the first place. If you want to be like them and send us ideas and even have us say your name at the end of the episode, you can do that by going and sending us an email at uh, thekachat at gmail.com or tweeting at us and giving us a follow uh, on our Twitter, which is at thekachat. There's no hyphen in there. Also, you can probably DM us. I don't really know how that works, but probably. <laughs> now John says this is part of the outro. Remember to like, comment, subscribe, tell anyone and everyone you think might be the least bit interested in this kooky, quirky, strange little podcast. And also give Puppa a try. Who knows? Maybe you'll like it. Uh, and until next time, remember to float like a Cadillac. And sting like a beamer. 